0: I have to confess that I'm one of the 16 million people that have subscribed to Netflix since the lockdown started. And one of the box sets that Claire and I have been watching on Netflix is The Crown. And in The Crown, you get to see what the weekly audience that Her Majesty the Queen has with the Prime Minister of the day. You get to see what that might be like when Her Majesty has said all that she wants to say to the PM. She presses a little button and then her assistant pops up and ushers the Prime Minister out whether he wants to go or not. The most important and powerful person in the whole of the UK, the Prime Minister, is summoned and then dispensed with and dismissed just with the press of a button. And the PM is left in no doubt who is in charge. It's Her Majesty. Very few normal people like you and I have ever met the Queen, let alone got to know her properly. But can you imagine the Queen coming to stay in your home? Imagine her sharing your bathroom queuing up on the landing whilst you're in the shower, while she wants to get into the bathroom. Imagine her eating with you. Imagine her cooking for you. Imagine her doing the washing up alongside you, hoovering up after you. If you walked into your house one day and found Her Majesty the Queen cleaning your bathroom, you might take some convincing that it really was the Queen. I remember years ago being in Safeway in Heaton doing some shopping with Claire And uh, there was this guy pushing his trolley along, being put, being kind of told off by his wife. And I realised it was Philippe Albert, great hero of Newcastle United. And once as well, being at work at Newcastle Airport and seeing before me Tino Aspria, another great hero of Newcastle United from many years ago. And when you see somebody famous and someone powerful in a place where you don't really expect to see them out of context, it can really take you by surprise. Sometimes it's difficult to believe. It's really them. Is it really the person I think it is? Well, you know, the outrageous, the phenomenal, the amazing message of the Bible is that God, in the person of Jesus, came to earth and became one of us and lived among us and showed us what God is really like. And four men, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote down and recorded how that happened and what happened when God came to earth. And one of those men was a man named John. And he wrote one of the four accounts, one of the four Gospels. Gospel just means good news. John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and he wrote one of these good news accounts about God coming to earth. And towards the end of his account, he said this about what he'd written. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or Messiah. It means the same thing. The Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why John wrote his gospel, his good news account about Jesus, that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. Christ, and Messiah, mean the same thing. Christ is Greek. Uh, Messiah is from the Hebrew language, and they both mean God's chosen king. John wrote his gospel so that we might believe that Jesus is the chosen king that God has sent to rule and reign in the world that he created and that he is the son of God. And that by believing and accepting that Jesus is the Messiah and the son of God and by submitting to him as God's king and as God's son, we can have life in his name. And today here at Regent, we are starting a new series of studies in John's account in the life of Jesus, John's gospel. We're parking our studies in Exodus and we'll return to that in 2021. But today we're beginning a new series in John's gospel. So let's start by reading the first 18 verses of John chapter one. But I need to point out that the John who wrote this isn't the same John that is mentioned in John chapter one. The John that we read about in chapter one is John the Baptist. And he was a man that God sent to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. And we're going to read a bit more about him in future weeks and learn more about him. But just keep that in your mind as we read these verses today. Two different Johns, John the disciple who wrote this account, and John the Baptist, a special messenger that God sent to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. So let's read from John chapter one, verses one to 18. I'm reading from the uh, New International Version. If you've got a Bible handy, you can just read along or you can follow the words on the screen. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the father's side, has made him known. Now, remember that John's main purpose in writing this account is so that we would believe and everybody throughout history who's read John's account would believe that Jesus is God's king in God's world. And that he's God's son through whom we can have eternal life. So John begins with a statement upon which his whole account rests. If this is true, if what he says in verse 1 is true, then it changes everything. It changes history. If it's false, then the whole book of John, in fact, the whole Bible is a lie. This is what John says in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Bible begins in the book of Genesis with the words, in the beginning, God. God was always there. God is eternal. He's always existed. But John says here that not only was God there in the beginning, but that someone called the Word was also there in the beginning. And this person that he calls the Word not only existed before anything was made, but this person called the Word was with God and had been for all eternity. And then he says something amazing. This person that he calls the Word was not only with God, John says the Word was also actually God himself. So this person that he calls the Word is eternal. He's always existed. He's always been with God and he actually is God. So who is this person that John calls the Word? Who is he? And why does John differentiate between God and the Word? Well, we need to go down to verse 14 to get the answer. In verse 14, John says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The special person became flesh and became a real human being and lived here on earth. The special person, the word, is none other than Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we can see that as we read on in John chapter one. And in fact, as we read on right throughout John's gospel, and we'll do that over the next few weeks and months now john wrote this account in greek and in greek he says the logos became flesh and logos literally means the word in english and it's in greek it's the idea of how someone expresses themselves so what john is saying is that the way that god has expressed himself most fully is through the person that he calls the word the logos john says that the word is the way that god has spoken to us this person god speaks And has spoken to us in all sorts of ways through creation and through nature and through his servants throughout history, the prophets which are written down in the Bible for us. In fact, God has spoken through a man called John the Baptist. Look at what verses 6 to 9 say in in chapter 1. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. But the way that God has spoken to us most fully and completely is when the person that John calls the word and here he calls the light. is when that person came to the earth and became a man, the man that we know as Jesus. Elsewhere in the Bible, in Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 3, we read these words writing about the same thing, about the same incident in history. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son, God's son, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. What John wants us to know, in fact, what the whole Bible wants us to know and believe is that the words and the works of Jesus that we read about in the rest of John's account are actually the words and the works of God himself here on earth. Jesus is how God has spoken to us. Jesus is how God has expressed himself to us. Jesus is the word, the logos made flesh. So Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Write that on your outline. If you've got an outline that you've printed off uh, this morning, as we do often here at Regent, then write that down on your outline. Jesus is God. That's what John wants us to know. Jesus didn't become God at some point. He wasn't a God. He wasn't partly God. Jesus was and is God. And John tells us two things about this person called the Word in these first few verses. Firstly, that the Word is eternal. He had always existed he existed before the universe before anything came into being and in verse 3 john says this through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made so this person he calls the word the word is eternal and created everything and everyone write that on your outline the word is eternal and created everything and everyone and that includes you it includes me god created you you are not an accident You are not a product of chance, a product of billions of years of evolution from slime to what you are now. God made you. God created you. The word, the word made flesh. He is the one that created all things. And that includes you and me this morning. John talks about God and the word eternally existing together. And then he changes the way that he refers to them. And he starts referring to God as God, the father and the word as God, the son. And it does that throughout the rest of John's gospel. In verse 18, John says no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the father's side has made him known. And in verse 14, John says the one and only who came from the father. John now refers to this special person that he calls the word. He now refers to him as God, the one and only who is at the father's side or the one and only who came from the father. And this phrase one and only is the Greek word monogonies, which literally means single offspring. But essentially here it means the unique and beloved one. The word is God's unique and beloved son. But John also refers to him as God, the one and only who is at the father's side. So this unique and beloved one, this one and only is God himself, according to John. God, the one and only. But he's also the one who's come from God, God the Father or from the Father's side. In older English translations, the word bosom is used rather than side. The Greek word is kolpos, and it literally means the front of the body uh, between the arms. And it's that idea of being close to somebody's heart and it's a place of great intimacy and blessing. So we have God the Father and we have God the Son, God the one and only, who's also called the Word. God, the father and God, the son, God, the one and only the word are eternally distinct from each other and yet are eternally united and are eternally one person. John uses this intimate picture of a father and a son who love one another to communicate something to us about the relationship of God and the word, God, the father and God, the son. And the Word, God the Son, God the One and Only, has come from God the Father and He's made Him known to us. He's become a human being. Bible teacher Bruce Milne says it's as if God has reached into His very being and plucked out His own heart in sending Christ to us. God the One and Only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. How did He do that? He became a human being 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. God the One and Only, the Word, God, the son, made God, the father known to us by becoming a human being. And he was given the name Jesus when he was born. Why was he called Jesus? Well, the name Jesus or Yeshua, as it is in Hebrew, means God saves, the Lord saves. God had come to save us by becoming a human being. Jesus. John says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word, God, the son, God, the one and only became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The eternal God, the one who's all powerful, all knowing, became a human being. God became a human being. Write that on your outline. God became a human being. The word became flesh and blood. The eternal God, through the miracle of what we call the incarnation, chose to become a human and confine himself to the limitations of being human. The word incarnation comes from the Latin language. Carne simply means meat. So where we get chili con carne from, chilies with meat. So incarnation simply literally means becoming meat. God became meat. God became flesh. The word became flesh and he was given the name Jesus. Jesus was and is the word, the one and only. Jesus is God, the son in human form. And Jesus wasn't pretending to be a human. He wasn't pretending to be a helpless baby or a carpenter. He wasn't pretending to be like us. Jesus really was fully human, 100% human. The Bible says that apart from sinning, Jesus was like us in every single way. As shocking as that may seem to us, and as uncomfortable as that makes us feel, and it almost seems a little bit irreverent, but that's what the Bible teaches. You see, God hasn't stayed remote from us, expecting us to go through things that he hasn't had to go through or that he doesn't understand. God, in the person of his one and only son has lived out life here on earth. God understands your life and he understands my life. Why? Because he's been through what you and I have been through and experienced. Just think about his life for a moment. Jesus grew up in a home where his human father wasn't his real father. He was an adopted father. His parentage was questioned and we see that sometimes in John's gospel. The innuendo about his parentage never really went away. His family rejected him. His human brothers and sisters accused him of being mad at one point and they abandoned him. Jesus knows what it's like to have your family reject you. We don't know when Joseph died, but Jesus knew what it was to lose a parent as a young man. He experienced the loss of a loved one. Jesus understands grief. Jesus experienced temptation we might struggle with that concept but the bible clearly says that he suffered when he was tempted and that he was tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin so Jesus knows what it's like to suffer from temptation he was homeless for a while Jesus said that the birds had nests the foxes had their holes but he had nowhere to lay his head he was homeless for a period of time he had to rely on other people to give him money he had no money of his own Experienced his cousin, John the Baptist, getting beheaded. He watched the men that he'd spent three years training and discipling and teaching. He watched them abandon him, betray him and deny him. Deny they even knew him. It was misunderstood. People questioned his motives. They accused him sometimes of being possessed by demons. Imagine that. And finally, he was beaten. He was whipped. He was spat upon, mocked and then nailed naked to a wooden cross. So when life is the pits, when life is awful, and maybe for you, life is awful right now. When you've got nowhere else to go, nowhere left to go. Remember that Jesus, the word made flesh. He knows how you feel. He's been through pain. He's grieved. He's been shamed. He's been betrayed. He's been tempted. Jesus understands. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. But God in the person of Jesus has been there. He understands and he wants to help you today. And not only does he understand, but he loves you. Jesus said in a few chapters on in in John, John chapter three, probably the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, speaking about himself, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loved the world. Jesus loved us so much that he became human. He humbled himself. The eternal God humbled himself to become a human being. The creator had to be cleaned as a baby. Staggering. The creator had to be have his nose wiped as a child. The creator was fed by his human parents. and One day the creator would open up his hands to receive those nails as he was crucified, as he was nailed to that cross. The creator had his beard torn from his face. The creator was spat upon. The creator was punched. The creator hung there upon a cross for your sin, for my sin. The creator died for you and for me. John says in verse 14, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ is the way in which God has expressed himself to us. He's the word made flesh. So when we look at Jesus, we see God's heart fully revealed. All the guessing games about what God is like stop when we look at Jesus. If we want to know what God is really like, then we need to look at Jesus. Write that on your outline. If you want to know what God is really like, look at Jesus, the Jesus that we read about in John's gospel and in Matthew, Mark and Luke. John says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. What is grace? Grace is God treating us in a way that we don't deserve. What is truth? Truth is the reality of who God is and who we are and what we are. And as we work our way through John's account, John's gospel, over the coming weeks and months, we're going to see how Jesus expresses God's heart to us. And we see the same thing as we read the other gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. In John chapter 8, we read that a woman who'd been Caught committing adultery was brought to Jesus, and the law of the Jews said that she should be, or or could be, at the very least, stoned to death. But Jesus doesn't stone her. He could have done. She was she had sinned against God. Jesus was God. She had sinned against Him. But instead, he shows her grace. He treats her in a way that she doesn't deserve. He challenges the hypocritical man who had brought her to him. Tells them that they can stone her but only if they have never sinned and one by one the men disappear until all that's left is the woman and Jesus, a sinner and God sitting there in the dust together. What does he do? He doesn't ignore her sin. He tells her to change her life, to go, to sin no more, to change her life. He delivers the truth to her, but he doesn't condemn her. He forgives her and he holds out the hand of love and grace to her. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Just consider the immensity of the situation. Here is the holy, perfect God sitting in the dust with a sinful woman. And he's talking to her, revealing the truth to her. He was perfect. She was a sinner. But also showing grace to her by not condemning her and by forgiving her. And we see this over and over again in all of the four Gospels. Jesus reveals the truth about who God is and about who we are. But he also offers amazing grace to those with whom he interacts. John, speaking about Jesus, the word made flesh, says this. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The word not only created physical life, but also gives spiritual and eternal life. He turns the lives of those who accept him from darkness to light. The sad reality is that most people then and most people now reject Jesus. Jesus said, uh, John rather said this, he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus was born into the Jewish race, but even they didn't recognize who he was or receive him as their Messiah, God's chosen king in God's created world. But here's the fantastic thing. John says this about Jesus, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. If we recognise who Jesus really is, the eternal God, come in human form and receive him as God's chosen king to reign in God's world. And if we believe in his name, in other words, in all that he said and did and is, then we can become God's children. Entrance into God's spiritual family isn't by physical means. It's by a supernatural process, a spiritual process that John calls being born of God. It's not about what we do or who we are. It's not based upon our physical background or our race or our social status. It's a supernatural process that God does in our lives when we recognize, accept and believe in Jesus. So write that on your outline. If I want to become one of God's children, I need to recognize, receive and believe. I need to recognize, receive and believe in Jesus. John says that the reason he wrote his account was so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. When we recognize Jesus, receive Jesus, believe in Jesus, we are born into God's family. And in God's family, we move from darkness into light. We move from death to life. And that light, that life is eternal Life, life that begins now and goes on forever. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives, comes in and transforms us and makes us into brand new people. Not any different to look at, but brand new people deep on the inside. We're born again, born of God. And the Holy Spirit lives with us so that we are united to God forever. And we're able to relate to God as our father, both now and for all eternity. That is life. That is the life that John wants us to receive through accepting, receiving and believing in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the word made flesh, the word who was made flesh and made his dwelling among us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the heart of God revealed, that you have showed us what God is like. You've revealed yourself to us as you come into this world. And as you've lived and died and risen again, we thank you that we can encounter and experience new life through you, Lord Jesus. We can move from, from darkness to light, from light from death to life. We can have this brand new relationship with you. Thank you. that As we look at you, Lord Jesus, we see the heart of God revealed. We want to worship you today. We want to give you thanks that you loved us so much that you left heaven and you came to this earth to become a real human being just like us except without sin. So we worship you today. today. We give you thanks. We praise you together. In Jesus' name, amen.